I'm turning this morning to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5 once again. And we'll be looking this morning at verses 22 through 25. Verses 22 through 25. Beginning in verse 22 down to verse 33 really introduces one continuous section. It is one continuous thought. The context is the same, but we're going to pull these verses apart week after week so that we're able to spend the appropriate amount of time on each one of these verses as the Lord gives us these instructions. In verses 22, 23, 24, and 25, we're going to deal this morning with the subject that we'll uh, go over into the following weeks. The subject's not limited to these verses, but our subject is found there in verse 25. As Christ also loved the church. As Christ also loved the church. Of many of the verses that appear in the book of Ephesians, this particular statement, probably along with what we read back in Ephesians 2, when we're reminded about how we are saved by grace in verse 8 of that chapter, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This particular passage, as Christ also loved the church, is one of the most recognizable. It's recognized for a number of reasons, uh, primarily because of the emphasis on love, the emphasis on Christ, and the emphasis on the church. What's often staggering to many people is that phrase is used with reference or context to how husbands are supposed to love their wives. For any husband that's here today, this buckles the knees. It buckles the knees because of the reality and the seriousness of how Jesus is appointed marriage to be. Now, it's easy for us to say that these, this passage is about marriage. It is. But also remember that the primary emphasis is not as much about marriage as it is about Christ's love towards the church. We get a perfect picture of what a marriage should look like based upon the picture of Christ and his relation to the church. So we have to take that two roads to get to the proper destination here. So the Apostle Paul does, by way of application, begin with an exhortation and the responsibilities of husbands and wives, respectively. So let's read these verses together, and then we'll get into the verse-by-verse exposition of this text. Verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, of course, this goes on much further, but we're going to stop there for this morning. And we're going to consider today this general foundation of these responsibilities of husbands and wives, but more importantly, how does Christ love the church? In order to understand verses 22 through 25, we need to review verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Oftentimes, these passages are misinterpreted and they're misused. Let me rephrase that. They're abused. These are passages that are abused by 
husbands and wives alike. The context is this connecting verse in verse 21, which talks about mutual submission. Oftentimes we hear it in our modern age that, you know, the one thing I don't like about the old fashioned church is that it requires wives to be submissive. What it's not taken into account is it's required that all human beings, male or female, be submissive. Husbands, men, are not excluded from submission. This is, this is the, the great irony. Uh, men think that this, I love when we get to this passage because it talks about what our wives have to do towards us. Well, I've got news for you. The requirement on you, husbands, is a lot higher than it is on her. So before you think you escape this, realize he's holding even the husbands in a greater expectation. But again, this is all done in the framework of Christ's love to the church. These passages, even with a marital relationship, would have no weight behind them if it did not give us a picture of Christ's love for the church. It would be just like any other self-help book that says, you know, husbands, if you want the perfect marriage, just love your wife this way. And wives, you want the perfect marriage, just do this. He gives the example of Christ's love for the church because it's a perfect example. It's a perfect example of the parties involved in the relationship and their respective roles. That's key to what's happening here. So there is a mutual submission. We ended our, our meeting last week with this thought that you and I, even as church members and fellow believers, we are to mutually submit ourselves to one another. Uh, we are to go to, to submit ourselves to the benefit of each other. Uh, if, if there's something that I could submit myself unto you to help you, I as a, a believer should be willing to do that. Submission is an attitude, folks. Submission is a matter of the heart. It's not this hard and fast rule that society says, you know, I don't like the church because it keeps talking about submission. I'm my own person. I'm my, no one's going to tell me what to do. That pretty much classifies our society today, doesn't it? Nobody wants to be told what to do. The problem in society is not the law. It's the problem with authority. That's, that's plain and simple. People's problem is with authority. So God speaks as authority. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pens these words under the authority of God. Not the authority of Springfield Bible Baptist Church. Not the authority of any other church on the planet. Uh, the authority of God. We submit ourselves. Why? Out of the fear of God. The fear of God ought to be a fearful thing. That was intended. It ought to be a fearful thing. It ought to be fearful to consider that there's a way God wants these things done and the way things should be. So there is this mutual submission. Uh, we should condescend down to one another's burdens. We should bear one another's burdens. Uh, we should not try to advance ourselves or our own uh, plan or agenda above someone else. We're not to dominate over someone else, nor are we to be each other's lawgiver. But we are to have this Christian temper that Paul writes about here of having a submissive spirit. Paul himself was known to become, a, 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 to become to all men. It didn't mean he changed his religion or changed his spots. He condescended to where they were. He submitted himself to their needs. He, in fact, bared their burdens. Submission is a matter of yielding our spirit. Okay? It just simply means I'm ready to yield the spirit or yield myself to the responsibilities of whatever that place is, whatever that office is. 
Now, with regard to Christ, the ultimate picture of submission is Jesus Christ himself. So when, when wives or ladies are offended by submission, you realize the greatest demonstration of submission that the world has ever seen is Jesus Christ submitting himself. He submitted himself to go to the cross voluntarily. He submitted himself to the Roman authorities. He submitted himself to condescend down to where we are in order to pay our sin debt. The ultimate picture of submission is Jesus Christ leaving the glory of the right hand of his Father and coming to this wicked, sin-filled world to die for you who are his own. That, in fact, is the perfect picture of submission. Submission is not a profane word. Submission is actually for every single person in this room. This is not just about, hey, this is responsibility of wives. But what we do need to understand is that it's all to be done in the fear of God. Again, that connecting verse in verse 21. Submission is consistent with the fear of God. Okay, submission is consistent with the fear of God. When I'm in a submissive spirit, it is consistent with what the fear of God looks like. The fear of God is not just afraid that the wrath of God and a lightning bolt or a lightning is going to strike us. No, it's yielded to his authority. Man's greatest problem is authority. So there is this mutual condescension, submitting the duties of different relations throughout this world. Uh, If you don't know this yet, you'll know it sooner. Maybe it'll take some of us later. Our entire lives are spent submitting to someone. If you work a job, you submit every single day. If, 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 if you are in any kind of a relationship, business, or other, whatever it is, you're, you are submitting to something every single day. But suddenly we get to the church and everybody, or not everybody, a lot of people lose their mind over this. Submission is consistent with the fear of God. That's Paul's point as he connects verse 21 to verse 22. So from Ephesians 5, Verse 22 to verse 33, Paul, using the example of Christ's submission, demonstrates the duties and responsibilities of husbands and wives. He'll carry this thought on in a few weeks when he gives instructions to children. Children are to be submissive to their own parents. Now, a couple key things I want to point out. First of all, verse 22, this is key. And I'm going to say something, and I don't mean to step on toes, but I'm going to say it anyway. Submit yourselves unto your own husband. Not someone else's husband. This has been misused for men to mistreat women in the church for decades. Women are not supposed to submit to another person's husband. This is not what he's saying. Your own husband. This is an exclusive one individual. Okay? It, it's, it, this, is, this is one of those tender areas in my heart, so I'm going I'm to restrain myself. This is not the authority for the man to rule over a woman just indefinitely in all cases and say, this woman in the church must submit to me because I'm a man and you're a woman. He says, submit to your own husbands. Period. That's it. But yet it goes on. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of one body, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. You see a pattern. 
This is intentional. To your own husband. Now we got to get back to the point. What would be the problem with a wife submitting to her own husband? There should be none. Again, the arguments will come, but we're going to talk about this this morning, about what submission looks like. So again, this is not intended, nor did Paul have this intention, either spoken or unspoken, to demonstrate the superiority of the man over the female or the husband over the wife. If you've been taught that, I'm very, very sorry you were taught wrong. If you grew up in a church that men were taught they're superior, you were taught wrong. That's as clear as I can make it. And if you walk around with the attitude that you're superior to your wife, you're wrong. You are not superior in any way, shape, or form. This is not about superiority. This is not about who is more valued. This is about order of God's creation. We've been dealing with this on Wednesday nights. We've been going through a a mini-series within the Sermon on the Mount about divorce. And there's a concept that's going to come up later on in this passage about one flesh. And this is the key to the whole thing. And we'll get to that uh, in the weeks to come. So with this being said, we understand that with regard to the general relations between husbands and wives, Paul is going to demonstrate the relationship that Christ has to the church. Okay? Submission to one another is a characteristic of a new creation in Christ. If I'm truly a new creature in Christ, submission should not be a problem for me. Submission should actually be something I want to demonstrate because of what Christ has done for me. If I truly understand the church today, if I understand what the church is really about, I want to submit to Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm begging to submit to Christ. I'm trying to find a way to know that I am dependent upon Him. Christ is not just this part of my daily agenda. He is my all in all. He is my only hope. Without Him, everything is impossible. Submission is not a profane term. And yet, this verse introduces something very practical, earthly relationships. You know, this submission is even going to enter into the servant and master relationship. Now, this is not your typical servant and master relationship like we're used. Oh, it's like my employee-employer. This ran a lot deeper than that. Even servants were being told to submit to their masters. So this is not just about one party being submissive to another. So we're going to deal with really three main aspects from here into chapter 6. Wives and husbands in marriage, children and parents and family, and slaves and masters in society. That makes up from verse 22 of chapter 5 all the way down through verse 9 of Ephesians 6. So let's start pulling these verses apart with the understanding that we have. Again, remember Paul's audience. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles. If you've been been here on our study on Wednesday night, you know that the Jews had a completely different view of marriage. Some of the Pharisees had a view of marriage that was astounding. It was, we can divorce our wife for any reason. If we just don't like the way she looks at us, we could, we could divorce her. They had varying views. So here's two parties coming to this. Paul is talking about the importance and the relationship of marriage. And he's talking to Jews and Gentiles alike. And it's remarkable that the very first, in each of these cases, he indicates who the party is that's being addressed. Okay? This shows us some of God's interest in how he deals with his people. Uh, this, is, this is especially 
to get us the opportunity to be able to see Jesus himself. Okay, so again, notice verse 22. Wives, okay, so we know the intended audience right here. There's no doubt who he's talking to. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Okay, there's a lot of men in society that don't read the rest of the verse. What's the rest of the verse say? As unto the Lord. That's a huge difference than walking around your kingdom saying, you need to submit to me. You need to submit to me. That's not Bible at all. As unto the Lord, as an example of how Christ did it. That's what leads Paul into that next phrase. And we'll talk about that. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He tells us exactly what this submission is supposed to look like. Christ was the perfect picture of submission. There's nobody in this room, I think, that would say Christ's submission was flawed. I don't think anybody would say Christ, you know, Christ gave up some of the most important. He, no, he was the perfect example of submission. Being submitted is not popular today, but it's not just in the, it's not just in the wife relationship. Uh, it's not just in uh, the world relationships. Uh, women, okay, women are being told that the problem with this is, is that you're equal with men. The Bible never indicated that you weren't. The Bible never says you're unequal. Society thinks that means inequality. And we know how big that word is today, right? Equality, equality, equality. You're screaming for equality in things that are not unequal. You're screaming for equality. He's not saying that at all. What he is saying is that so what so what is the what is the young woman and our children hearing? Okay, now again, I'm I'm gonna step on some toes, but if you if if for example, if you have children in public school right now, there is an intentional, an intentional <laughs> brainwashing to get your young girls to believe that they are unequal and that they should rise up and prove that they are. Christ was never once indicating that there's an inequality here. As a matter of fact, it's not an inequality that's leading him to give this authoritative statement. What he's doing here is he is giving the reality. He's not saying that she doesn't have equal rights. He's not saying that she doesn't have equal opportunities. Jesus himself is giving us the example of what true contentment and true happiness really looks like. So you're either, you're either going to believe the world's message or you're going to believe God's message. And I'm telling you, I'm in a different stage than some of you are with my children, and others are different than I am. But I'm telling you, you better guard, guard, guard what your children are hearing and what they're being taught, and you should know exactly what it is. And if you have your children in public school, you put them in public school, but know what they're being taught. Know that the reality is, is that there is this idea that Paul was writing to somehow make and determine that the wives were unequal. That's not what he was doing at all. Now, it's difficult in this world, in this day and age, it is difficult from women to be freed from this type of thinking. It's an intentional attack. And so we have to remember what's God giving us. God is giving us through his word. He's giving us 
not just a blueprint, that's, a, that's not a good word, but he's giving us the authority of what he says is to be. He's not leaving this optional. Like he's not saying if the circumstances warrant it, be submissive. Or if your circumstances warrant it, be submissive. He's saying, wives, you are to be submissive. So this is never, this is, pardon this, this is never going to trend as a hashtag, right? It's never going to be, hey, it's in vogue now for wives to be submissive. Because in case you're not paying attention, it's going to become, it'll probably become illegal to even call women wives anymore. Because we don't even call them mothers anymore. Now we call them birthing persons. This is happening, folks, in our country. There is an intentional blurring of the lines that's happening to intentionally wipe out what's male and what's female so that there's the appearance that we're all now equal. There's no greater picture of what life's supposed to be than in the Word of God. There's supposed to be mothers and fathers and husbands and wives. That's the way it's always been because that's the way He created it. So we as Christians, if you're buying into this nonsense... Don't buy it. I'm seeing Christians who are saying, well, maybe we do need to be a little bit more sensitive to this. Are you kidding me? I am not going to go against what God has called male and female. And I'm not going to go against father and mother and husband and wife. Why? Because the authority of God says that's the way it's supposed to be. You're not going to move me off of that. And if that labels us as narrow-minded, then what a, we have no other choice. So this effect that Paul is exhorting here, this ought to be viewed as not some kind of a demeaning of her. This is an exhortation. Paul is exhorting these wives to what true Christianity looks like. It's important for us to be reminded that God's Word has not lost its effect just because it's 2021. Oh, if we keep on the same... If we keep on the same way we're going now with the watered-down versions of the Bible coming out, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be in a gender-neutral church. It's watering it down to where now you have Bibles that don't even use genders. So I'm telling you to guard yourself against the schools. You better guard yourself against churches that are buying into this stuff. It's happening all around you. You maybe don't see it. It's happening all around you. So Paul, with this reason, is reminding them that demeaning is the authority of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. This subjection is not only in body, but it's supposed to be in heart and spirit. Wives should think well of their husbands. Wives should speak respectfully of them. They should be able to help take care of those things. But they also should be following the lead of a husband who's living that way. He's giving the examples of, of submission himself. As unto the Lord, because the Lord's commanded it. That's, that's the authority right there. The Lord's commanded it, and we're to do these things in the fear of the Lord. The Lord's commanded it. He clearly says that the husband is the Lord's authority in the home, and because rebellion against spiritual authority is rebellion against the Lord. So then look at verse 23. Verse 23 is an explanation for verse 22. God has ordained it this way because of the picture that is shown of Christ and the church 
in the relation between the husband and his wife. So think about it this way. It wasn't that the husband and wife relationship was there first, in a sense. And so we need something to demonstrate it to you. Paul says it's the other way around. The reason marriage is the way it is, is because of Christ's relationship to the church. Okay? So because of the demonstration and the submission we see in Christ, we see that this gives us your marriage, husbands and wives, ought to be a picture of what Christ has ordained. Folks, I'm telling you right now, there's nothing that Satan himself hates worse than a marriage that's actually Christ-centered. That's why marriage is under attack in our nation. And that didn't just begin in the last few years. If you're just now waking up to this, you've missed a lot. Because this attack didn't just start in the last two years. This has been a concentrated intentional attack for many, many years. The reason that Satan hates conditional, traditional marriage the way it is, is because it gives a perfect picture of who Christ and his love for the church is. Satan wants nothing to do with Christ's love for the church. And Satan wants nothing to do with giving an accurate picture of what Christ's love for the church is. So how better could the, the, the powers of darkness, the spirit of antichrist, the spirit of the devil, how greater could they make waves than to destroy the picture of marriage? If you just sit back and you're just kind of observing, you don't really think about things, you'll start looking and saying, wow, I, where did we go wrong? We went wrong when years ago, when the, the mantra was this, challenge all authority. You know, that happened at one time and not too long ago in, in history time. It wasn't too long ago. Challenge all authority, all authority. You see it play out every single day. The rage is a challenge to authority. Oh, you can say it's a lot of other things. This is the actual cause. It's a challenge to authority. So everywhere that the husband functions as the head of the wife, Paul simply says that the wife is submitted to him and you see a living testimony between Christ and the church. It's the privilege of a believer to give that type of substance in their marriage. The man is the head, meaning he has a leading position. And here's the key, but he leads in love. Christ is the head of the church. It's not the pastors, not the elders, not the deacons. It's not the congregation. I don't care what the church constitution says. That's not the head. Christ is the head. Christ is the preeminent one. If you find yourself someday, hope it's not when, with me, but you find yourself without a pastor, without elders, without deacons, you still have a head. And you still are held accountable for what you do. God still holds you accountable. Christ is the head. Christ is the one that we're submitted to today. I'm not asking you to submit to me. And some pastors have gotten this wrong. Shepherding is not domineering. Leading your wives is not domineering, guys. It isn't. This is, these are a matter of practical things that we are, ought to be fully aware of. 
God is the one that gave the man the position in the home to lead and to lead in love. But God is also the one, through the Godhead, through the eternal covenants in eternity past, that gave the position to Christ to be the head of the church. There's an implication here. Every church in this world that Christ is not the head is not a church. Doesn't matter what denomination it is, doesn't matter what religion it is, if Christ is not the head, it's not a church. It might have a pastor, it might have deacons, it might have elders, it might have a congregation. But if Christ is not the head, it's not a church. Because Christ is the head. So to this position, Paul adds one more thought. Christ is the Savior of the body. That's one thing no other person can ever do. I can't be a Savior. You can't be a Savior. Savior of the body. He's the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ, or as a picture, an illustration. A husband is to demonstrate the same thing that Christ, as the head of the church, does, and he is the Savior of the body. To be a Savior of the body, in a non-spiritual terms, is to be the protector. It's to be the one that nourishes. It's the one that, honestly, honestly, that wife wants and needs. This is not about domination. You know, a lot of these leadership books that get sold in Christian bookstores, they're garbage. They're garbage because they're not based upon Christ being the lead. They're based upon some human element of it that says, well, here's how it really, if you really want this to work. Folks, the greatest manual for what your marriage and your family ought to look like, it's right here in this book. You, you, you don't need... You don't need extra things if you'll just read it and actually take it for what it really means. I mean, people have argued. There, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of different viewpoints on what these verses mean. And yet, it's really clear if you take the context of what Paul was writing about. So what is God's intention? Was God's intention to, to a wife to take something away from her, that she responds by having to prove her own independence? No. This is not even, this is not even about whether a woman should work outside of the home. I, I have heard so many things that just make my head spin. And I sit here and I think about it, I look at it, and I'm like, you're adding so much to this that's just not being said. But yet, there is supposed to be this unity. Folks, the, the greatest home lives and the greatest marriages I've ever experienced, and again, please don't assume a marriage is what you think it is. I, I, I can't even tell you, I can't even tell you over the last 10 years how many perfect marriages I saw fall apart. From the outside, from the outside, those were families that's not supposed to happen to. It's, it's not supposed to happen. It, it staggers you because you look at it and you say, now they had the perfect marriage. Based on what? The perfect marriage is not based upon even a lot of times what we can outwardly see. There's a, there is this spirit of mutual submission and unity. And the greatest Christian families I've ever seen 
our families where there's not some husband dominating over his wife and there's not some wife who thinks submission is being this meek, sheep-like person who's afraid of her own shadow. And I've watched men dominate women like this and push them into the ground and make them feel like nothing. If you think that's Christ-likeness, you're sorely mistaken. That's not it. That's not it. When you see this actually in action, when you actually see mutual submission, you see a beautiful picture. You see a picture of two people who understand Christ is our head. We're mutually submitted to one another. That husband knows I'm just as submitted to my wife as she is to me. He doesn't walk around with his chest puffed out and said, I'm the man, submit to me. I've seen pastors do that to their wives. I've seen deacons do that to their wives. I've seen, I've seen all churches treat the women in the church like they're second-class citizens. And there's nowhere scripturally you have that basis to stand upon. I know I'm getting real personal this morning, but that's, that's just what's on my heart about this today. But you do know that there is still this submission. And notice that even in redemption, Paul writes about this in Colossians, that there's neither male nor female, bond nor free, but Christ is all. That husband that treats his wife as a second-class citizen was redeemed by the same Christ you were. You weren't any more entitled to salvation by grace than she was. I try to live in this world where you think about that how we differentiate and think someone's more valuable than others, and God is looking at all, He's looking at His people, He's looking at the sinners, and He's saying, There's neither male nor female. There's no free, there's slave. They are all, Christ is all in all. Christ is the one who's given the divine order that governs the family of God. Our Lord's decreed authority and leadership that is to be obeyed and followed. There's a couple passages here I want you to see. Um, 1 Timothy 2. I'm going to move a little quickly here. Again, another, other verses, and we don't have time to expound these fully. Um, these are verses every time I read them. Sadly, people have been brought up believing they mean one thing, and they don't. The 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. In like manner... Also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Again, this is not to be taken as something negative and awful. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, the in like manner matters in verse 9 because of what Paul has been saying in the previous eight verses. And he's talking about there's one mediator, the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom. Paul is very clearly demonstrating that this has nothing to do with inequality. It has nothing to do with one being superior. It has to do with the order of creation. And that's key to understanding all of this. It's the order of creation. So back to the text in Ephesians 5, look at verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, okay, here's the relationship. We've already established the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So women here are pictured as the church. Okay, 
The church is subject to Christ. So as Christ is perfect in his relation to his wife, the church, it shouldn't be that difficult for the church to be submitted to him. So in other words, husbands who are to be a picture of Christ are not perfect. Nor is the local body of a church perfect. Okay? It's not perfection. So what does that mean? That means for wives, it's not always easy to be submissive. Right? But the practice, again, again, I know some of this is it's a little unnerving when we hear it, but the practice of husbands is not the standard for submission. In other words, the husband's actions don't determine the standard. The standard is the church in relation to Christ as it's seen by God. If wives are submitted to their husbands, it's, look what he says, in everything. Okay, again, and now if we have a good understanding of what submission means, we know that this is not being run over. This is not dominance. And like I told you, this all sounds so heavy for the wives to take. But I'm telling you, the responsibility he puts on the husbands in just a moment is astronomical, different. So submission is an attitude. Paul talks about something that has to do with the heart. There are husbands that make it very difficult for their wives. I, folks, I've done enough counseling over the years. I, I'm just telling you, I'm not, I don't consider myself old, but the stuff that I've seen in the years of any ministry I've been involved, there are some things I can't even talk to you about. There are some difficult, very difficult situations that are in this, with this specific area. So, again, there's nothing in here that says that that submission includes that wives should consent to be forced to do things that are against the Scriptures. See, there's this real fine line where submission's being used to force the husband into saying, you have to do whatever I say. Sadly, there are churches that have taught that, that have sent wives back into bad, bad, bad situations because that pastor felt the same way about submission. She, uh, she needs to obey you in everything. That means you can tell her anything and she has to do it or she's in disobedience to God. That's not what the Bible says at all. This is not about being forced into non-scriptural things. I'm telling you the level of responsibility that Paul's getting ready to unload on the husbands the husbands who probably read this letter, heard this for the first time, didn't realize the full impact of what they were being told. But understand that even in saying no or refusing to do those things against the Scriptures, they should not give up the attitude of submission. Okay, that's kind of the key here. So the church is dependent upon Christ. The church is in submission to Christ. That's the principle and the picture that Paul is giving to the wives. So let's begin this. We're not going to have as much time as I wanted to to expound this, but let's start this. Husbands, love your wives even. There's that word even, which is the same word that he has used towards the Christ being the head of the church. Love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So in this context, Paul has used three verses to address the wives. The following nine verses 
are the standard expected of the husband. Oh, Christ, love your wives as Christ loved the church is just the beginning of it. Because Paul begins to start using terminology like sanctifying and cleansing, presenting a glorious, having no spot nor wrinkle. Men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. No man ever hated his own flesh. The, the, the ramifications for what the husband's now being told to do, the standard for the husband's relationship. Okay, let's just be honest. The wife is not always lovable. Right? But what's the husband told? To love her. So those husbands that say, you know what? You're not what I expected. You're not what I wanted. You're still told to love her. You see, we've got marriage all messed up to where we've got it, to where we set a standard of what marriage is supposed to be. And then when it doesn't live up to the human standard, we just say, I just bail. Again, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just telling you, that's how we look at this. He doesn't say love her when she's lovable. Love her when she's submissive. Love her when she does what you want her to do. Love her when she's all these things. He says, love her as Christ loved the church. That means you need to love her in all of her sin and all of the stains, just like Christ loved you. Because if you think you were lovable to Christ, there was nothing loving in us. When he looked at us before he saved us, there was nothing. He said, now that's a lovable human being there. Oh, that's a good one over there. That's a, uh, that one's okay, but that one's... No. All he could see was the depravity. You hear some people talk about their own salvation. They sound like they're doing God a favor by accepting Him as Savior. You didn't do God any favors. He did you by long-suffering and loving kindness and drawing you unto Himself out of the pit of your own miserable, sinful life. Paul says, now, husbands, love your wife that way. Now, I'm not trying to weigh these things, but I'm telling you, they've got the submission on one hand, it's got all of its difficulties with the wives, and a lot, of the men, a lot of the men rise up here and often say, why isn't the wife told to love her husband here? There's the order that's happening here. But the husbands are. The husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Those husbands that walk around puffed out that this is what my wife is supposed to do, on the contrary, are not actually seeing that the responsibilities that they have is much, much higher than even what the wife has. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ is what kind of a love? It is a giving sacrificial love. In order to understand this type of love, you have to be totally dependent upon the Scripture and the Spirit. We sang about the love of Christ. The last hymn we sang here is love. It still does not get to the depths of really how Christ loved us. We could sing hymns all afternoon about the love of Christ, and we still would not fully comprehend what His love for us means. Because we are defining it by something that has a, it has a point of reference. Yet, Paul tells us that husbands are to love their wives this way. 
So you see the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church. And the example, there's a great example of the merchant who was looking for beautiful pearls in Matthew 13. That merchant sell, sells everything because of that one pearl. Now, remember, it wasn't because he was seeing that that pearl was better than the others. But when Christ came, he gave the entirety of his life. He sacrificed himself for the love of the church. Even the giving of Christ's life, which was a perfect love, goes further than simply selling what he had. It goes deeper than that. Notice what it says. He gave himself for it. His love was such a sacrificial giving love that he gave himself for it. He went unto death and through death for the love of the church. He did that fully devoted to his bride. I'm convinced, and you can take this or leave it, it takes husbands years, if not a lifetime, to actually start to figure this out. Because we have been so brainwashed with the latest self-help books that we think we're loving our wives as Christ loved the church and we haven't even scratched the surface yet. Folks, our theology of not just the doctrines of last things or the doctrine of salvation, you know our theology of marriage ought to come from the same book? If you want to know what marriage is supposed to look like, you don't have to go any further than a text of the, than the, than the Bible. You don't need to go further than that. You don't have to go beyond it and say, well, here's something that really kind of clarifies it. Listen, I've, I've met men. Oh, I, I think they were in jest. I think they were. I don't know. Who said, sure, I love my wife that way. Maybe they do. But it's a, it's a pretty bold statement. It's, 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 it's pretty bold. And on the other side, I've met wives who say, I'm perfectly submitted to my husband, my own husband. I'm in perfect submission. Okay, maybe you are. But I suspect that we probably both, husbands and wives, probably both have the same issue when we consider what Christ was given as the illustration of submission and what was being given as the illustration of love towards the church. You see, it's not just about the love of Christ. This is not about the love of Christ for sinners. If you take this passage about Christ, how Christ loved the church for his love for sinners, there's nothing attractive about sinners. Here his love is exactly encouraged by the attractiveness of the true church. What is the attractiveness of the true church? Jesus Christ. Why we even have any kind of attraction to God is because of Christ. If Christ isn't here, God isn't here. If Christ isn't in your marriage, it's not a godly marriage. You could be that husband that buys your wife everything. But if Christ is not the all and all, it's not a Christ-centered marriage. You see, when Christ looks at the church, he's looking at the church not just because it looked attractive to him. He's looking upon the church according to the purposes of God before the foundation of the world. How is the church going to be used? This church that we simply say, well, this is just something I choose to be a part of or I choose not to be a part of. This is the very program of God. 
not SBBC, but churches and true gospel churches all around the world are part of the plan and purposes of God. They are meant to actually be a place that points people to the real truth. And this idea that we can kind of just turn churches into whatever we want them to be, that's not the church Christ died for. Christ died for the church that is intentional on glorifying Him. And that's not just from the pulpit or the preacher or the deacons or the elders. That's from every single person who goes there and every single marriage and every single child. These these are the things that even begin to give us a bit of a look of what, how Christ loved the church. Not only did He give Himself on the cross, but He continues to give Himself. He makes intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. Christ is still loving us today. It's evidenced by the fact that He came to this earth and that He continued to love us even when He went to the cross and He continues to love us even at the right hand of the Father. His love is this. He makes everything He is available to His church. So what does that mean for a husband? In that same way, the love of a husband for his wife should not be limited to just based on the time or the circumstances. He should love her always regardless of what's happening. Folks, I can't tell you, and I, 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 I said this Wednesday, I'm going to say it again. The reality of marriage and the reality of what you are stepping into, you really, 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 young people, I know some of you are a long, long way from being married, but please don't lose sight of the realities of what this is. This is not a trial period. This is not something you just hope works out. You are taking this covenant before God. But more importantly than even that covenant is the picture that you are portraying of Christ's love for the church. I've been to weddings where I've heard about the covenant relationship. I heard, I've heard it. But the one you don't hear awful lot about is about the, the husband being told, listen, this is a picture. This woman that you're marrying, you are to love her the way Christ loved the church. If you truly know what he's saying, I'm telling you, that buckles a man's knees. And if that man can still stand after that and say, hey, no problem. Should you not get married? I'm not saying that. Just understand that this is not just a relationship so that you can have a family and you can have relationships. This is, this is meant to be a picture of Christ's love for the church. Husbands, love your wives. This is still and always will be the key. Why? Because Christ loved, it, loved us, gave Himself for us. Because we love Christ, His commandment should be easy. The burden, or quote-unquote burden, should be light. If a husband loves his wife, even as Christ also loved the church, simple ways, showing affection for her, delighting in her, seeking her happiness instead of his own. How about this one? How about instead of spreading her, thought, her faults, how about you conceal them? Folks, I'm telling you, there's a lot of avenues we could go down today. Don't conceal your wife's faults. Anymore, and you'd want her to conceal. You got faults? Conceal them. Everybody doesn't need to know what's going on in your marriage. Oh, another important one. You should prefer, husbands, you should prefer your wife over your own parents. You better get that one down. You better get it down. 
that cleaving and leaving thing, you better understand what that actually truly means. Because it's not just a, it's not just a kind of this traditional thing. You prefer her husbands, you prefer her over anything else. Folks, I don't have an answer to you why Christ died for me. I don't have an answer why Christ died for you. Because I can't find anything lovely in you and I can't find anything lovely in me. I still, I still don't see a reason. That's what Paul says to the husbands. Love your wives the same way Christ loved you. He didn't have to have a reason to love you. If he was looking for a reason to love you, he never would have found one. So I'm a pretty good person. I give a lot. I, I'm really good. I give to charity. I do. That wouldn't be enough for him to die for you. Our, our righteousness is truly as Isaiah says, as filthy rags. It's only because of this grace. Now, if a husband, again, it's not dependent upon the husband doing everything he should, just like it's not dependent on the wife doing everything she should. But do you realize if you have two parties that are striving to do this, do you know how much more harmony and unity will actually be in your home? And, and by the way, we all have times of disharmony. Our homes are not always what they're supposed to be. But imagine submission by a wife that's joyful. It's not a matter of I have to. I delight in it. I'm, I'm, I joy in it. Or a husband that says, well, I'm married to her. I guess I got to love her. Folks, I, I've, I've heard that. I've had men sit across from me at desk and say, well, I, I can't divorce her, so I guess I'll love her. Folks, Christ, the appearance is supposed to be this. Just as Christ is not going to forsake us, that husband should not forsake his wife. That is still the case. That's still the standard. The biblical view of marriage is not simply, it's not to be as a sacrament or a legal binding agreement. Again, that goes a little bit back to what we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. The biblical view is a covenantal union between a man and a woman that reflects the relationship between Christ and the church. That's what a biblical view of marriage is. A covenant union between a man and a woman that reflects the relationship between Christ and the church. So because marriage is supposed to be a picture of that relationship, Christians should seek to not even marry non-believers. Wednesday night we talked about what should happen in that case, so you know the answer to that. But these verses teach us that husbands are to care for their wives in the same way that Christ cares for his church. And that the wife is to submit to the husband, her own husband, as the church submits to Christ. The submission is to be seen in the broader context of a loving relationship where both are seeking the good of the other. I'm doing good unto my wife when I love her. She's doing good unto me when there's submission there. Again, I don't know why the submission gets such a bad rap, but it does. But that doesn't make the wife inferior or less than the husband, as some people do claim. Nor does it mean that the wife has to do everything the husband commands without exception. The wife is serving God. She's obeying Christ even before she obeys her own husband. I've used this before, and I, I, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. But before I was ever married, my wife told me that no matter what, 
I'm going to love Christ first. As a young man, that's not easy to hear. Because as a young man, you're like, wait a minute. Why don't you love me first? You don't want that, guys. What you actually want is you want her to love Christ more than you. It stings when you're young and immature. I love Christ more than you. She still does. And if I understand it right, I as her husband should want that. I should want her to love God, love Christ more than she loves me. But in my own pride, I say, no, 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 you love me more. No. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church husbands. All believers are ultimately under the authority of Christ. What Paul talks about here is the order. So next week, we'll pick up again in verse 26, again, dealing more with the responsibilities of the husband. But again, I hope we'll understand what Paul was talking about in the true context of the passage. All right, let's go ahead if you would. We'll stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer today. Again, I thank you for being here. Trust that we'll take all we've heard today and apply it and be instructed by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are so grateful for this time that we've had. And Lord, as we go our separate ways, we realize today that, Father, we, we are still sinners saved by grace. We realize today one message is not going to change everything and reform everything. But may we leave here today with a desire to have proper relationships and responsibilities. May we think first and foremost about Christ's love for the church. May that be our guiding light, our guiding factor as to how we live our lives. To know that we who were unlovable were loved by Christ in spite of that. And that his mercy and grace has been showered and poured upon us. Father, we pray now that as we leave and we go our separate ways, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, as he goes with us, will continue to help us meditate and remind us of the truths we've heard today. We thank you, we praise you. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake I ask these things. Amen.